Hi there, this is Danny Klein Modisette welcoming you to the Afterbirth Podcast, where we feature real stories about raising kids that you're not going to read in a parenting magazine. We've got a real treat for you today. It's Mr. Joel Murray, the fantastic actor, reading his story, My Boy Hank is Graduating from College This Summer. It was recorded at the M Bar in 2012. You know this guy from The Artist, from Mad Men, he was Freddy, and he may still be Freddy, but I'm not supposed to, nobody's allowed to know if he's coming back to Mad Men. So please give a warm welcome to Joel Murray. What a beautiful room. This could be right out of Mad Men if Matt Weiner wasn't picky. I've forgotten my glasses, so I can't lower this enough. Uh, This is entitled, My Boy Hank is Graduating from College This Summer. Yeah. My wife and I were getting on with our day. She had made the lunches. I dropped the kids off at school. She was going through her various gossip columns, uh, Perez Hilton, Celebici, whatever, and I was getting a second opinion on the Bulls' victory last night. I was also going through Facebook, reading the two or three things I wanted to read and realizing I wouldn't get back to the other 30 ever, as well as harvesting my all-important Smurf crop of onions. Uh, We talked about what we had to do that day, which we do. Well, she, uh, she had a lot of errands to do for her fledgling interior design company, and I had, uh, well, I had, uh, I got to write that thing for Danny, that, that afterbirth thing. I got to write that. <laughs> well, that's great. Great. What are you going to write about? Um, I don't know. I, uh, I was going to write that story out about, that, that story about Hank. Well, that's good. That's good. And she proceeded to say, you know, I, I, I worry about Hanky. I worry about him. You know, I, I just hope our kids are go-getters, you know? I, I, I hope he's not complacent. And she said it guardedly because we both know both families have the complacency gene running rampant. <laughs> and well, you know, Hank, Better be a go-getter, because he's soon going to be heading out in the world, armed only with his good looks, his wonderful disposition, and an English degree from the University of Arizona. (laughs) (sighs) But I confidently turned to my wife at that point, and I said, I wouldn't worry one second about Hank. He's here for a reason. There's something very important he's here to do. And she looked at me like I was completely high and grabbed her bag of returns and was out the door. (laughs) Quickly cut to 3,000 feet in the air, a first-class airplane, United Airlines, whatever. Uh, Chiron, it's 1989. I'm coming out to Los Angeles to start work on a new series, Grand. Promising, it's going to be on after Cheers. I had read through my script two, three times already, my 11 lines, and uh, I kept it out on my tray table in case anyone were to happen. Yeah, television show, yeah. New series comedy, yeah. 
nobody cared, no one was looking at me. Especially the incredibly powerful looking woman to my left who was just writing constantly and writing things and taking out her file of facts and rewriting things and putting them back and cross-referencing. And this is before, you know, a Blackberry or a computer or all the other things she could have been working. But back then it was just that. And uh, me, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> there's free Bloody Marys. I was in the midst of the ultimate Irish dilemma. I could have literally had a hundred of them. And uh, they're free. And, and, yeah, I'll have another. And before long, uh, the lady next to me finally stopped doing her constant work. And she, she put her stuff away. And she pulled out a Cosmopolitan magazine. And I gave her a look like, well, <laughs> I expected something a little more highbrow than that. And before long, I'm reclined into position with my incredible eyesight where I'm taking her Cosmo stress tests over her shoulder. <laughs> well, geez, I've, I've recently lost a family member. My, my mom passed not too long ago, and I had just lost a job, yeah, and I'd gotten a new one, and I, I changed cities, and I, I'd gotten engaged, I'd gotten married, and I, I'm going to have a baby shortly. And all of these had just happened in the span of about 12 months. So it was very fortunate that I smoked a lot of pot during this period of my life <laughs> because the stress I was under could have killed me. <laughs> I had answered uh, yes to seven of the eight questions. I, I was not entering menopause. So, <laughs> whew. But you see, Hank was already here for a reason. He'd helped me to get the girl of my dreams, the love of my life, to marry me, and, and in very short fashion. Uh, I will, will take credit for, you know, forcing her to move to Los Angeles, where we knew only two people, and forcing her to go to a city where we had absolutely no family members to possibly help us with a new baby that we were going to be having. I'll take all that credit, but... Uh, Needless to say, finding the right place to live going ahead like I was, was very important here. And, uh, well, you know, I, I was working, and I, I, I didn't have a lot of time during the day to, to go out and look for a place. And uh, I only knew two people in Los Angeles, and they both lived in Brentwood. So I figured, well, Brentwood is the place to live, <laughs> right? It's probably a an economical area close to the studios <laughs> where young, like-minded people like ourselves live. So being a new immigrant to Los Angeles, I figured that was the spot. My friend, Bonnie Hunt, who worked on the show, she had just married a wealthy banker and she uh, lived in a beautiful new condo on Barrington. My friend, Sean uh, Masterson, uh, his father, turns out, invented the people's court, and he had his own <laughs> beautiful condo with a pool on Montana. So being an immigrant, I knew I had to settle my people within two blocks of that intersection. Well, the, the search didn't go real well so far in my price range. Uh, I wasn't used to actually making money. So... Um, a little trepidation there. So I was uh, about to sign the lease 
on a very dismal two-bedroom apartment on Barrington on the east side of the street with a view of an apartment very close to it out the window. And uh, I, I was parking my car and uh, couldn't find a spot near that apartment, which to some would have been a sign. <laughs> so I parked about 400 yards south. And as I was getting out of the car, my super eyesight again spotted about 50 yards down on the left of this older apartment building, way down this driveway was a for lease sign on a window. I said, well, she's going to kill me if I rent that place. I'll go down and I'll check it out. And I walked all the way down this, this walkway, the driveway, and I, I, I got to this amazingly cute little three-bedroom house. And uh, it had its own two-car garage. It was gated in a way. It had its own private yard. You went in, it had hardwood floors and, and, and a realtor's card on the open place, by the way, I walked right in. And also, the apartment complex's swimming pool was adjacent to our property. So it was kind of like it was our pool, in a way. <laughs> and I was also smart enough to be able to know how to turn the heat on on the pool that they had no intention to heat. <laughs> well, I, I thanked my lucky stars for years that I, I rented this little place because it, it made, you know, our transition into parenthood a whole lot easier. You know, we could actually entertain here. We, Liza made friends with other young mothers at the park nearby. Um, there were a lot of places in the neighborhood you could actually walk to. Well, 15 months later, after Hank was born, his brother Gus joined the family. Little Hank was never jealous, you know. He, he was walking up a storm. He had, he had baskets to shoot birds to point out, you know, he, he had full run of the whole gated compound, and, uh, you know, I had a new series, Pacific Station. <laughs> Robert Guillaume, Dick Libertini, no? Well, steady paycheck coming in again, and uh, everything about the apartment complex was great, other than the one downside was there was about four or five rich kids turned Hare Krishnas that lived there. I'll never understand this, but every once in a while I'd be barbecuing in the yard and you'd get this bald-headed, ponytailed head who'd come over and go, why, man? Why are you searing that animal's flesh? I don't know, for lunch? But I, that was the only downside. And Liza had recently had a friend move to town. So that was exciting, a friend from high school. Well, her friend came over one day, and uh, she was a, a legendary pretty girl from our hometown that I had never met. And uh, we were all introduced, and uh, very quickly, Hank and I realized we're not needed here. Um, and me, not having anything to do again, I uh, figured I would just go over here, just on the edge of earshot of the two ladies, and uh, do a crossword puzzle. And uh, I was able to watch Hank go back and forth from the window. He'd run by, he'd uh, point out a blue jay, <laughs> or he'd come up and he'd dunk a basketball. It's very exciting times we lived. And uh, so I'm doing my crossword puzzle, and all of a sudden, and I swear to God to this to the day, I felt a hit on the back of my head. And my mom had been gone two and a half years at this point, and I recognized the slap on the back of my head. And I got up, 
and I looked at Liza's friends, and I said, did you lock the gate? And she goes, oh, yeah, of course. And I right away knew I got to, I went and saw where Hank had gone. And I came out, and he wasn't there, and the gate was open. And uh, my initial impression was that, oh, God forbid he's run to the street, the busy street down the way. And I sprinted. I ran as fast as I could towards Barrington. And by the time I got to the Hare Krishna's Volvo station wagon, I stopped. I knew, no, this isn't the way. I turned around. I ran back towards my house. And as I was getting towards the house, I could see that the gate was open to the pool area and that some clown had put his weightlifting bench and barbells to prop open the door. I jumped a fence that was about five and a half feet tall. And as I was in the air, pretty much everything went silent. I could hear Liza and her friends screaming and crying. And as I was in the air going down, I could see my boy floating in the water. And I surfaced as quick as I could, and I got up, and I'm swimming towards my boy Hank. And he's, he's white-skinned and blue-lipped. And uh, I scooped him up quickly, and I put him on the side of the deck of the pool. And I, I, I put a breath into him right away. And as soon as I started compressions on him, he spit up everything inside him, water and then some, all over me, and started wailing, started crying. I got him. I sat there in the pool. Liza came, and she grabbed the boy from me and took him inside. And I sat there, and I, I thought about Coach Stilnecki's CPR class in high school and the guys that used to do one-hitters and blow them out the window. I thought about how bad that could have just gone. The sirens started, and the paramedics were there shortly, and the paramedics came over, and they uh, examined Henry, and they said, Hank's fine. And the other paramedic took me aside and asked me what had happened. I told him my lame story, and uh, he said, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many people just wait for us to get here, let them float in the pool. You saved them. He's fine, man. Well, they said Frank. So, they said Hank was okay. They wanted him to take him to the hospital for over observation overnight. Liza went with the ambulance. I stayed with Baby Gus. Her friend apologized profusely. We didn't see her for about five years. It wasn't just because she moved to the valley. I stayed home with Gus other than to go out and leave a note for the self-centered asshole who thought he'd lift weights by the pool. The next morning, I, I went to pick up Hank from the UCLA Medical Center. And any time you, you go to see a person in the hospital and you get to their room and their bed's empty, you, you kind of freak out. But they said, oh, no, no, he's, he's just in the playroom. I went down to the playroom, and he was dressed in his own clothes and there were two cute Asian college-age volunteers playing with him, watching him. And I just kind of stood by the door a while, because I was kind of welling up. And Hank saw me, gave me a nod. And he went, and he started painting with these two girls. And he would 
put one color in the green and slap it up and then put the red in the green and slap it up. And then by the time he had gotten all five things of paint, the same kind of brownish black color, the two Asian girls looked at me and said, are you going to do anything? And I just kind of grinned there like an idiot and smiled. That's my boy Hank. He's here for a reason. There's something very important he's here to do. And I'm looking forward to watching him and finding out just what it is. Thanks. Okay, for more information about Afterbirth, the book, the live show, or to comment on the podcast, please go to afterbirthstories.com. Our next live Afterbirth show will be at the M Bar in Hollywood on August 24th. So mark your calendars now and be sure to listen to the podcast for more details as we get closer to the big date. Have a great summer. Bye.